It's one of the deepest, richest, most important books of the Bible, Romans. In this message, join Pastor Chris Chadwick and learn more about what the Bible says in the book of Romans. Uh, We are at a very uh, decisive portion of Scripture. This is our, we started a study in Romans, I don't remember, March, something like that. We will finish Romans 1 today. This is our 16th message, not ours, my 16th message out of Romans 1. Most of you could have done it in about one message. It took me 16 tries to get it done today. This chapter will not come to an easy conclusion as a matter of fact, it's a very challenging and probably the most difficult uh, conclusion I've ever preached in a chapter. I, I believe this, I said this at the Great 30 service, I believe I've been under more spiritual attack for this message than any I ever remember in, good grief, now 30 years of preaching the Bible. Why? Maybe it's because of the subject matter, maybe it's because of the challenges of the text or the current conditions in our country and in our world, but there is no doubt this is a very difficult chapter or a very difficult passage. We started a couple of weeks ago, uh, last week, my friend Clark Bozier spoke for us, but the week before that, we started a two-part series just in working our way through this text entitled... Um, when God abandons man, not not a title that's going to win a lot of um, like sermon of the year awards, but it's really what the passage is talking about. And we looked at two weeks ago, and here's why I say this. Sometimes people think, well, I'll just do my own thing. And then whenever I'm ready, I'll just come to God and he has to accept me. But you're misunderstanding the character and the nature of God. And though, yes, he is always forgiving and yes, he is always accepting, there is a point of his abandonment. And we see that in verse 24 and 25. The basis for God's abandonment where the scripture says, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. The scripture says God gave them up. It's a Greek word, paradidomai, and it means this. It means to actively abandon someone. It's an intense verb. It's a, it's a very passionate word. And God actively abandons them. Well, how does he do that? Well, he removes his restraining hand of grace, his grace that keeps you from your own silliness or stupidity or foolishness. God removes that and he gives them up to uncleanness. The word uncleanness means filth in a natural, physical, or moral sense. It's often used of decaying matter in a grave, the decaying matter of a dead body. That's what the word uncleanness means. God gave them up to this moral uncleanness through the lust of their own flesh. The lust is a strong desire and it refers to a carnal desire or a carnal appetite for that which is sinful and that which is forbidden. So God gives these people up. He gives them over. He actively gives them up through the lust of their own hearts, 
The heart is the, in this passage, the center and the seed of emotion, the center and the seed of decision making. It's the heart of man that, that God says, I'm going to give you up through the lust of your own heart. The word lust is a strong carnal desire or appetite. Well, to do what? Just working our way to the big idea of today's message. To dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Well, what does that mean? Well, verse number 24 is, if I could be so bold as to tell you really and concisely what it means, it means that God gave them up to fulfill the sexual depravity of their own heart and mind. That's what he gave them up to do. Well, why would he do that? Well, verse number 23 they change the glory of the uncorruptible God. See, everything comes back to our theology or our view of God. They change the glory, that which is reserved for the uncorruptible. The word uncorruptible means means uh, unable to be corrupted or not to be diminished in the slightest way, like like all of God's power. You ever hear somebody say, like, I'm just, I know God's so busy, I don't want to ask him for anything. Oh, dear friend, he is omnipotent. He is all powerful. He can never lose a, a, a microwatt of power. He's never been less than fully powerful and fully knowledgeable, omniscient. He's never been less than omnipresent or everywhere at one time. He is the uncorruptible God. And they change the uncorruptible God into what? Into a statue or an image, the verse says in 23, made like unto corruptible man. They made God look like us. How foolish is that? How many of you have looked at the mirror and kind of been disgusted? Every once in a while I'll look in the mirror and I'll just walk up to Debbie and I'll write her an apology letter. Like, I'm sorry, you're stuck with this. And she'll be like, oh no, I'm so happy with that. And then I'm like, you need to repent for lying right now, right now. They made God look like corruptible man. That wasn't low enough. They made God look like a bird. A bird? Or a four-footed beast, a cow or a lion or a tiger. And here's the, to me, you know, the scripture doesn't, though there's a law of first mention and all of that, the scripture doesn't say specifically, but The depravity to me seems to be escalating here or to a creeping thing or creeping things, which is a a reptile and possibly reptiles that live in the water like frogs and snakes. They make God look like a snake, like a, like a toad. And we know that people in Egypt did that. We can go through different parts of the world today. Southeast Asia, we were there in Cambodia one time and we were driving down a road and there were statues being made of Buddha and other things and they have the snake gods and they have all these other gods that are there. They make God look like these creeping things and so God, God is, is he, they changed his glory. They, they, they exchanged his glory. They corrupted his glory. They made the glory of God into a statue of a man or a bird or an animal. In verse 24, and God gives them over to uncleanness. He allows them to do 
whatever they desire to do, listen to what I'm about to say, without restraint. The intent of this, I would submit to you, was to allow them to see their own sin and their self-imposed destruction and and to cause them to turn to God. But idolatry never fulfills. It, It cannot fulfill. That's why if you're trying to work for your fulfillment, your job will never fulfill you. Not in a million years will your job ever fulfill you. It cannot provide fulfillment. Your money cannot fulfill you. Your wife or your children cannot fulfill you. Oh, there's a measure of fulfillment, but there's a true fulfillment that can happen. And God allows these folks to, to try to find fulfillment in their own hearts only to find themselves empty and devoid of, of joy and pleasure that sin promised. You see, mankind was created to worship God. Revelation chapter 4, verse number 11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Rather than repent of their sin and turn to the Lord, verse number 25, they developed a deeper passion or lust for sin. They changed the truth of God into a lie. They literally took the truth, the the reality of the observable reality of God, and they made it a lie. Where lie is pseudo or a falsehood. They took a little bit of God's truth and they twisted it and they made it pseudo truth. and, and, And it became fictitious and vain. Pseudo, we illustrated that with like last week or a couple weeks ago with like fake leather. Like fake leather looks good from a distance, but you put on a fake leather jacket, you feel like you're in a straight jacket that weighs 100 pounds. And change the truth of God into a lie and worshiped, stand in awe of reverence, sabazomai, to stand in awe of, to reverence, venerate, reveal, reverential behavior. They, 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 they worshiped and they served the creature, the thing that was created more than the creator. And that phrase more than the creator means they abandoned any worship or any concept of the creator. And the creator is blessed forever. God is blessed forever. God is to be praised forever. God is inherently worthy of praise forever and always will be. This rejection of God by man and man's abandonment of God. Here's what people think. Like, oh, I can abandon God and there's no consequence. I can do my own thing and there's no consequence. No, no. We see the consequence of God's abandonment in verse 26. For this cause. For what cause? For changing the truth of God into a lie and worshiping and serving the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And then we get into our text. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affection. Affections for even their women to change the natural use into that which is against nature. As we follow the progression, we've moved from men making idols to men changing the obvious truth uh, of God and altered this God's truth. We understand that, but they changed the obvious truth of God into a lie. And we see for a second time, this phrase gave them up. It's going to be used three times. It's the Greek word paradidomai. Again, an intense verb to actively give something up, to actively abandon. I tried to think of a, easy, non-offensive way to illustrate, give something up. 
And, and it's kind of like this, because the idea of an exchange is going on. When I was a kid, my mom would take me to the grocery store. And if I was good and I endured the march through the grocery store, it took forever. And I don't know about any of you, my mom was very frugal and she clipped coupons. So I knew that by the time we filled our cart with food, that the battle was only half done. And if I went through the grocery store and did right, my mom would let me buy a treat or a toy or a trinket or something. And oftentimes I would go into the store and I would grab two of them. I would grab this one and that one. And my mom would say, you can only have one. And I would think about them and I would go through the whole store. And as we're walking up to the cash register, that dear German woman was not very nice when she said, put one of those back. I was hoping she had forgotten through that physical drama that we had just been through. She had not. You've got to give one of them up. And so I would actively paradidomai. I would give one of them up. And I would put it back on the shelf. And I would actively say, I don't want this one anymore. Or I want it, but I want this one more. A crude illustration of what it's like when God actively gives somebody up. Actively abandons them. Lets them do what they desire. God gave them up to what? And gave them up to vile affection. You see, the manifestation of man's sinfulness is seen here in verse number 26. They started in idolatry in verse number 23, and God gave them over to moral or sexual perversion. Let me just say this, things like pornography, though it was a little bit different in their day than ours. They didn't have cell phones and computers, but there was still a a tremendous measure of porn that would go on in their day. It's certainly accurate in our day. God said, you want to do that? I just have to actively give you up. You can dishonor your own bodies between yourselves. But then we come to verse number 26 and 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 it's escalated. And we must remember this, that moral perversion is the result of God's wrath, not the reason for it. Moral perversion is the result of God's judgment, not the reason for it. Sometimes people say, God has to judge our nation because of the perversion of our nation. Oh, no, no, dear friend. The perversion of our nation is evidence of the judgment that already exists. The penalty for sin, one author said, is sin itself with all its inevitable consequences. And the judgment comes on these folks because they change the truth of God into a lie. And God gives them up to vile, shameful passions, degrading passions, dishonorable passions. God gives them up to that. Vile affections. The word affection is an interesting word. It's the word pathos. And in this context, it's the soul's diseased condition out of which various lust spring. Now, if you're a guest, you're like, dude, are you guys always like this? In truth, we just let the text determine what we're going to talk about. We do, it's called expositional preaching. We go verse by verse through a book of the Bible and, and we just expose what God has said, try to make it relevant to our lives because this, we believe with all of our heart that the Bible is the word of God. 
And it's not accidentally written, and God didn't write it to be a punk to us. God actually wrote his word and gave his commands to protect us and bless us and to bring us joy. And so sometimes we come to these difficult passages of scripture that if I had the chance to pick, I would probably preach something else. But I don't. God gives these folks up to vile affections. I'm told by people who are students of Greek literature, and I am not, other than the Bible, really a student of Greek literature, though I have to study it from time to time. But the Bible, this part of the New Testament was written in Greek, and as Paul uses this phrase, vile affection, I am told that this term is almost exclusively, if not exclusively used for homosexuality. And God gave them up unto vile affection. In his wonderful book that every Christian should read, Sam Albury wrote in the book, Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? He quotes an author who says, sex is God's appointed way for two married people to reciprocally say to one another, I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. Let me say that again. Sex is God's appointed way for two married people to reciprocally say to one another, I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. That's what sex with your married spouse says. That's why it's supposed to be engaged in regularly. Well, how regular is regularly? Many times each week. Many times. I can't believe you're saying that. Well, come back in February. This is nothing. St. Valentine's got nothing on a Baptist preacher who knows the Bible. And if you want help before that, come earlier. It's all over online. Matter of fact, Debbie and I are writing a book about it this year. We're going to take a nine-month vacation to do it, though. But sex is God's appointed way for two married people to reciprocally say to one another, I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. And then Albury gives this commentary. If this is so, and it is, sex has beautiful and radical implications, or it has beautiful and radical implications for our attitude towards sex. To reduce sex to being a means of getting pleasure or actually to hold back from, is actually to hold back from someone what is meant to be complete, permanent, and exclusive form of self-giving. We might think we're giving someone the gift of a sexual relationship, but if we're not giving our whole self to them fully, then our gift turns out to be a lot cheaper than it first appeared. And that's what vile affections do. They're just cheap. They're just cheap. It's without value. Well, how does this vile affection play out? Well, we see two groups of people mentioned here. For even the women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. They did change. They exchanged. They converted from one state to another. They put something in place of another. They switched it. They did change. The natural use, the word natural means established by God in nature. It's in accordance with a proper view of nature. You can, you can see it in nature, the natural use. You don't have to be a, a doctor or a scientist to go, oh, this makes sense. It's natural. The word use here is 
tresis, the Greek word tresis, it means function, and it was commonly used of sexual intercourse in the context the term would refer to nothing other than intimate sexual relations. Even the most pagan societies would recognize the clearly obvious fact of, of nature. This makes sense. It's the natural use. And they would understand that homosexuality is a, a bomb, or abnormal and unnatural. And it's abnormal, abnormality is unique to mankind. So it's against nature. It's against how God ordered the world. That's what this text says. The natural use into that which is against nature. And Paul mentions here the women before he deals with the men and commentator Charles Hodge thinks the reason for this, and I think it's profound, is that they're Ladies, women are always the last, he says, to be affected in the decay of morals and their corruption is therefore proof that all virtue is lost. You can remember as a kid, the idea of a lesbian woman was almost unheard of. And today it seems ubiquitous. Sin just gets worse and worse. And, and we understand this about this text. If you're sitting there thinking, oh, is, is God talking specifically to me? Well, there is a specific nature in which the entire Bible is written to you. Yes, absolutely. But there's also a general idea of a culture or a people group or a country or a community to which the Lord is speaking. And, and, and we see this in our own country, in our own culture, in our own state to this day, at, at this time, that, that it's rather obvious that people are changing the natural use, the natural function into that which is against nature not only is it women we also see that the men and Paul deals longer and more passionately with men likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman I mean it, it, it just he's in reference to their to their sexuality here and God's judgment that that part of the judgment on mankind is that they would leave the natural the obvious use in in a physical sexual sense that they would leave that with uh, the men would leave the body of the woman or their wife and 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 they would be attracted to men. He said, likewise, or in the same manner. It's interesting to note here. I thought this was really interesting. The Paul's word for men is just a generic form for the word male. And uh, the usual Greek term for women and men is, uh, in, in, in most language, implies a sense of dignity. Paul does not use that here. He just uses a gender distinction. He uses no dignity here. He is, he is, he is helping us to understand that, these, that homosexuality is in violation of what God created and a burden to the people and a judgment on a community where it is practiced. You see, God provided a beautiful means of fulfillment Sexual fulfillment for mankind, for men. It's called their wives. I'll say it again. It's called their wife. Not Pornhub. Not 
Tinder, not some other app, not Twitter. I heard there's more porn on Twitter than most porn sites come by. Not Twitter, not Facebook, not some pictures, not the dark web. No, God provided your wife. Amen. And every woman should say, amen. God provided you to be and your husband's fulfillment and he to be your fulfillment. But the men changed the natural use of the woman and they burned in their lust one toward another. The word burned here is interesting. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. And it means to be inflamed, to burn furiously. It's, it's like this. There's, it's a contrasting word. You can have a fire, like in my backyard. We have a little a little fire pit and you can, you can start a fire in the fire pit and you put your hands around it and your hands are warm and everybody sits around it and we talk and the dog comes running around and we think about throwing the dog in to see what happens or whatever and Debbie yells at me for saying that same joke for 27 years and you know, I get the same reaction every single time and we laugh about it and, and, and you just, you know, you roast some marshmallows and, and if you're like me, I try to burn them to see how black I can get them. Those things are amazing. The fact that we let our children eat them is a sign of judgment, I think. Um, I'm kidding. Let them eat all they want. I mean, it's what Lucky Charm makes Lucky Charms good, right? And, and so you're just enjoying the fire. It's fun. It's like, yeah, this is great. Oh, I could just watch the fire all day long. I could sit by the fire all day long. I enjoy the fire. And I say every time we have a fire to Debbie as we leave, I'm like, other than our house stinking like smoke for about three days, I love it. And I think I could just sit by a fire for hours on end. But that's not this word burned. This word burned is more like a chemical fire that can't be put out. You remember, I think it was the Bahamas Shard in San Diego Bay when it was tied up to the pier about a year ago when it caught fire down in the belly of the ship and it just burned for weeks on end and they tried to put it out and they couldn't get it out and it caused hundreds of millions of dollars worth of damage and people, unless they were in special suits with special gear and oxygen masks and all of that, weren't allowed to get close to it because it was a chemical fire in nature and they just, it was hot and people were, were in grave if they got too close, that's the idea of this word burned. Well, what did they burn in? They burned in their lust. Where lust means a craving that refuses to abate itself, a craving that will not go away unless fulfilled. Now, I have cravings. I'm a big fan of donuts. But I'm not a fan of just any donut, okay? I'm a donut snob. I like donuts from about one place. Rose Donuts right down the street on the corner of Linda Vista and Morena. That's pretty much the only place I really crave. I'll eat donuts occasionally from other places. We went on a family trip one time to the special donut place downtown and make donuts look like, you know, the Eiffel Tower or whatever. And it's people are like, oh man, aren't those great? I just didn't, I mean, it, I mean, it was like, it was like the Captain Crunch berries and cocoa pebbles on it and an egg. And I just like, this is just weird. 
weird and I don't like it. And my daughter's like, oh, dad, this is great. It's like seven pounds of icing they eat. And kids in our church are like, pastor, what do you think? I don't want to name the shop because I don't mean anything negative towards them. Just not my thing. They're like, oh, those are so good. And I'm just thinking like, yeah, whatever, fine, that's great. But you want to get me craving something after a big workout or after I didn't sleep enough or I got a perfect amount of sleep or I slept too much with or without coffee, man, I can crave me some rose donuts all day long. But that can be abated. I'll give up an apple fritter for a banana every once in a while. Or if I know dinner's coming or if, you know, something else happens, I can, that can be abated. But this word lust here in verse 27, it can't be abated. Uh, uh, abated, those of you, English is your second language. It, it, can't, it can't be done away with. It can't be passed over. You, you can't ignore it. They burned in their lust. I thought about how do I illustrate this and I'm reminded of the story in Genesis chapter 19 of Lot who is in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot was uh, the nephew of the patriarch of Israel, Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah was a wicked city known for their perversion and vileness and and known for not caring for the poor and a lot of other things that they did that, that, that were sins and it was a city wholly given to homosexuality and just perversion in that way. And two angels come in and they tell Lot, they come into his house, they walk through the city and they come into his house and they, they tell Lot, they said, we're going to destroy this city tomorrow. And while they're in Lot's house, telling Lot to get his family out of the city because it's going to be destroyed. The men of the city, Genesis 19, 4 and 5 talk about it. They come to Lot's house and they begin to bang on the door and, and, and they begin to yell at Lot to bring hither. Here's what verse number 19 says, or verse number 5 says of 19. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, where are the men which came to thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. From the context, it seems like every man in the city is outside Lot's door. And Lot goes outside and he says, don't do this wickedness. As a matter of fact, my two daughters are virgins. And I'll bring my daughters out. Lot was a worthless man. I'll bring my daughters out and you can do whatever to them that you want to do to them. And Lot's arguing with the men at the door and the two angels that are in the house grab Lot and they pull Lot into the house and it says in verse number 11 of that text and the angels smote the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they they wearied themselves to find the door. Here's the thought, even in their blindness, they were so lustful and so filled with passion that even in their blindness, they didn't stop trying to get to the door to find these men. Their lust was so powerful. That's the lust he's talking about. You take me to Rose Donuts, you put me in line, and I'm looking at a couple apple fritters and jelly filled. I'm ready to go. I get struck with blindness, I'm out of there. I'm not wearing myself to find the donut counter anymore. I'm going to the doctor. What just happened to me? Even their blindness didn't stop them. Verse 27, their lust one toward another, men with men. You don't have to be a Bible expositor to understand what he's talking about there. 
working that which is unseemly, deformed, a thing that shames oneself, working that which is against nature and receiving, obtaining, the word receiving is to obtain, and obtaining or receiving in themselves what they get from this is the recompense of their error, which was me. Recompense is just, a, it's a transaction. It's, a, it's an economic term. It's a, com- a term of commerce. It's a transaction between a buyer and a seller. You go to the store and, and you want to buy something. You go to the counter and you give them cash or a check or your debit card. And there's a transaction. You give them money. They give you said item. That's recompense. You paid for it. You got it. Here's the recompense. You dealt into homosexuality here's the reward here's the recompense the recompense of their error a synonym for sin and and then there's this word that we have to do some work on which was meat which is unavoidable the word meat means unavoidable or must come to pass. You see, sometimes if you speak truth, people say, well, you're just being a jerk and unkind and homophobic or whatever the case may be. No, no, no. I'm not homophobic in the slightest way. Anybody who knows me knows that. Matter of fact, I've lost friends because I'll witness to homosexual people and we've had the privilege here at Canyon Ridge of leading homosexual folks to Christ. Matter of fact, the guy who helped us decorate this auditorium was a young gay guy that we met through one of our members and he was a graduate of the Art Institute of San Diego and he came here and helped us and he sat on that row right there, third seat in And one Sunday when I'm preaching out of John chapter 9, which had nothing to do with homosexuality, he realized his need for a savior, went into that room right over there with Bernie Lund after the service and was gloriously saved. So there's zero amounts of homophobia or homophobic tendencies or thoughts. I don't believe that for a second. But we would preach against the sin of homosexuality just like I'll preach against the sin like I did a couple of weeks ago in verse 23 of adultery. And even like I preached on the sin of withholding sex from your married spouse. Those of you who were here, you know, like at this church, we'll preach about it all. We preach about not having sex enough, having sex with the wrong people, having, hey, God's word is clear. More people ought to be saying amen right there. We we preach against young people having sex with themselves while watching videos. Why? Because we want what is right for you. We don't want you to endure the judgment and the suffering and the punishment of God, which is meat. It's unavoidable. To 
to use your sexuality for your own gratification, the consequence of that, the devastating consequence of that is unavoidable. It meaning it can't be avoided. You can't go, oh, that'll affect other people, but it won't affect me. No, just give it enough time. It will affect you. It will affect me. There's no one beyond the, the, the consequence of sin. No one, not a single person, ever. Sam Albury in his book, I'll quote him twice today, two different books, he makes this statement in his book, Is God Anti-Gay?, he rightly says, sexuality is like a post-it note. The first time you use it, the post-it note sticks well, but when it's reapplied too many times, it loses its capacity to stick to anything. We're simply not designed for multiple sexual partners. Sex becomes less relational and more functional and less satisfying as a result. Casual sexual encounters are made to look harmless and fun in most sitcoms, but the consequences in real life are far more serious. Emptiness and brokenness and devastation abound. We should not be surprised. Sex is designed to irreversibly bind two people together. Sex is designed by God to irreversibly bind two people together. That's why we tell young people and single people, listen, stay celibate. Keep your virginity for that person that you will be married to for the rest of your life. And we have some parents in here that no doubt made mistakes and sinned in their youth. Would you please do your family a favor and stop telling your kids? And parents are like, well, I mean, I just tell my kids I messed up. I mean, I wasn't perfect. I want them to know. You're a fool. You're a fool. You literally are giving Satan an inroad into the life of your children to say to them, mom and dad screwed their life up totally. You'll be fine too. Stop. Stop living in your past like it's something to be gloried and then going, by the grace of God, I am where I am. You loser, stop it. Don't ever say that to your kids. Your kids should never know that. Well, I don't want to be a hypocrite. You're not a hypocrite. You're a lost, you're, you're a saved person redeemed by the blood of the lamb who God has forgotten your sins and, and put them as far as the east is from the west. Why be a loser and keep bringing them back to life? Well, I just disagree. Well, you're dumb. I can't believe you just called me dumb. Well, don't be dumb. If you know how many kids sat in my office, sat with me at youth camp, sat to me on a bus, talked to me over the years, going, well, my parents said they went up and look at them. They're just fine. I guess I'll be fine too. Really? You want to open your kids up to that? It's only because of your insecurities that you do it. And it might be because you've never really repented of your sin and you still find pleasure in it. So you're telling other people about it to see if it excites them as much as it still excites you. I should have had more amens. I'm about to jump on the pulpit and preach because I love our teenagers. 
I love our children over in the children's ministry. They don't need to know that mom and dad were getting it on Friday night in the back of a drive-in movie theater. They don't even know what a drive-in movie theater is. Homosexual behavior is like all forms of sinful sex outside of marriage. It's destructive. I'll get back to my notes here. I normally stay in less trouble that way. The Gay and Lesbian Medical Association website described the following detrimental effects associated with same-sex practice. And they said this, those who engage in same-sex practices have higher rates of HIV, AIDS, substance abuse, depression, anxiety, hepatitis, sexually transmitted illnesses, anal pampilonia, HPV, gonorrhea, syphilis, uh, chlamydia, certain cancers, alcohol abuse, tobacco abuse, eating disorders, and in subsets of the culture, obesity. The same website features uh, page 10 things lesbians should discuss with their health care provider. And it says this, this is a quote from the website. Lesbians have the uh, richest concentration of risk, fact, risk factors for breast cancer than uh, any subset of women in the world. And lesbians have a higher risk for many of the gynecologic cancers. The same website, the GLMA website, gives... Uh, 10 things men should discuss with their health care provider. Gay men uh, may be at risk, at higher risk for, or at risk for death by prostate, testicular, or colon cancers. In my discussion with many people in the LGBT community, the common refrain is that they face these, that people face these struggles because they don't have acceptance or approval. In February of 2009, the Canadian Gay, Lesbian, Bisexual, Transgender League group, they filed a human rights uh, lawsuit against the Canadian government and Healthcare Canada, asserting that Canadian GLBT populations had poor statistics for life expectancy, 20 years shorter than the average person. Just gay people had a 20 years shorter standard than the rest of society, which is terrible. I hate that. It's It's horrible. The risk factors included, according to Canada, suicide, alcohol, and illicit drug and substance abuse, cancer, infectious disease, HIV, AIDS, and depression. This is noteworthy in that they were challenging Canada. They were claiming negative health statistics attributed to them being gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender as a function. They were suing them because they said it's a function of, our, of just who we are, and, and we're not accepted, and we need more acceptance. But the Canadian government provides a highly supportive government. They celebrate homosexuality in their liberal churches. The public is coerced into silence by hate speech codes, literally preaching this message here today with land me in jail in the country of Canada. They have, they, they have high hate speech codes. They, they reject the scripture, yet poor health indicators for the GLBT populace remains. This demonstrates that acceptance and affirmation of same-sex sexuality is not the promised antidote for the problems inherent with gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender sexuality. It's simply the conclusion of God's abandonment. And we see the conclusion of God's abandonment in verse 28 through 32. They did not like to retain God into their knowledge. In verse number 23, they wanted to change God into a statue. In verse number 25, they wanted to change the truth of God's word into a lie. And in verse 28, they, they wanted every vestige of God removed. They didn't want God at all. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Retain means to possess. So God paradidomide, God gave them over in verse number 28 
to a reprobate. Now remember, this is talking about society in general, and there's a specificity to it, to a reprobate, meaning undiscerning, void of judgment, abominable. That's what the word reprobate means. An abominable mind to be abhorred by God and man. Mine is the seed and the center of, of the emotions, of the thoughts. They have, a, they have a mind that is abhorred by God and man. Without judgment, that's what reprobate, void of any judgment, not distinguishable, no discernment at all. To do those things which are not convenient, not suitable, not right. Paul then concludes this chapter, verse 29 to verse number 32, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, uh, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affections, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. This passage begins with, or Paul gives this closing passage of 21 vices. The list is not really neat in its classification. It's kind of broad, but it begins with four general sins, which these people have been filled in every kind of wickedness, every kind of evil, every kind of greed, every kind of depravity. That's what's going on in, in the world. That's what they're filled with. And then five more sins. They are, they are full of a broken, and it depicts a broken human relationship. They are full of, of envy and murder and strife and, and malignity. It's malice, deceit and malice. They're, they're backbiters. They're, they're whisperers. They, they, they they, they follows with four more. They, they portray different extreme forms of pride. They are God haters. They are uh, insolent, despiteful. They're, they, they always find a problem. They're proud. They're so proud they won't listen to anyone. They are boasters, boastful. They're happy about their pride. They are inventors of evil things. Look at our world today. Is this not us? No, seriously, is this not us? And it's like I talk to people sometimes, and they're like, oh, Pastor, you don't want to know about that. Well, why don't I want to know about it? I like learning new stuff. Tell me, oh, well, it's just... It's just really wicked and we don't want you to know about it. You don't want me to know about it. Why do you know about it? And then they tell me, I'm like, dude, I didn't want to know that. Inventors of evil things. Disobedient to parents. And the list ends with four negative things. They're senseless. They're without understanding. They make no sense. They're faithless. They're covenant breakers. Without understanding, they're covenant breakers. They're, they're, they're faithless. They don't keep their word. They're, they're heartless. They have no natural affection. No natural affection. 
Our world is filled with this. I mean, it seems like weekly you, you turn on the news or you, wherever you get your news, you'll see some major city, some older person being, being beat up by a younger person and you'll literally see people walking by. Not everybody and not all the time, but it's enough that we, we're not shocked when we see it anymore. People just walk, I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to do anything without natural affection. Implacable, heartless, ruthless, unmerciful. This is, God says, hey, you, you, you want to do your own thing? Fine, this is what you have. This is what you can do. I mean, this is the conclusion of God's abandonment. Well, pastor, if all of this is the case, what do we do in a world that's so pro-homosexual? Now, undoubtedly, we have people in this room who are homosexual, a room this size in San Diego, no doubt about it. No doubt. And I first want to say this. I thank God that you're here. I thank God that you are here. I'm proud of you for being here. And if you've been following this study, you knew what was coming because you knew where we were going. To the Christian, I have some practical thoughts here. To the Christian who has gay friends, coworkers, people you work out with in the gym, whatever. Number one, Understand that homosexual or heterosexual, everyone needs Jesus and all can be saved. First Corinthians chapter six, verse number nine, which the homosexual culture in Corinth was way more bold and outspoken even than in our culture. Every day in Corinth was, and I'm not trying to be funny here, every day in Corinth was a gay pride parade. Every day. The Roman culture, it was the, it was the, not only the allowed, not only the expected, but the encouraged form of sexuality in the Roman culture. Women were used for progeneration. Women were used just to have offspring. It was, it was the part of the culture. Notice what Paul says. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, that's any sex outside of marriage, pornea, including pornography, anything like that, sex with a prostitute, uh, premarital sex, anything, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, sex when you're married uh, with somebody other than your wife or husband, nor effeminate, that would refer to like transgender folks, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, uh, abusers of themselves with mankind, that would be homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, thieves and covetous, that would include all of us in this room, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So this is what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth. Pretty much nobody's going to heaven. And yeah, you're included. If Paul stopped the letter to the Corinthians there, what a bummer. But notice what he says in verse number 11. And such were some of you. You were fornicators, you were idolaters, you were adulterers, you were effeminate, you were effeminate, transgender, you were were homosexual, you were thieves, you were covetous, you were drunkards, you were revilers or fighters, you were extortioners. That's what some of you were. 
but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Hey, your life might be jacked up. You might be in deep sin, but don't think for a moment that Jesus Christ can't save you. Don't think for a moment that he won't save you. He says, any that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. He doesn't care where you're from. He doesn't care what you've done. His blood will wash away all of your sin. Well, pastor, I heard somebody say that God won't save them. That guy's an idiot. Run as far as you can from him. You say, well, I believe it. I'm not coming back. Fine. No, there's a door. Well, I, I know some churches, they'll kick people out who are homosexual. Not churches that love Jesus. Why? Well, one of the reasons is because in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're all listed in that. Every single one of us are listed in that. There's not a person that is free from this list. No, we are all listed here. And all of us need to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ who died on the cross of Calvary for our sin. And if you're here today and don't know Jesus as your Savior, he promises to save you regardless of what you've done. Whether you're heterosexual or homosexual, you need Jesus and he will save you. Number two. Remember that we're all in desperate need of grace. Romans 6.16, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servant you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness, but God be thanked you are the servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Being made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members to uncleanness and iniquity into iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to unrighteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were made free from righteousness. What fruit had ye in those things wherever you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. Being made free from sin and become the servants of God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end to everlasting life. Here's all Paul is saying here. You and I are all in desperate need of grace. Number three. I speak more to Christians who grew up in this, in, in a Christian culture, understand that homosexuality is a part of our culture. I talked to a woman one time who was in her 60s. She said of her sons that were in their 20s and 30s, I just don't want them to know about homosexuality. She said like last year. Really? You, you don't want your 20-year-old to know about that? She goes, No. Ma'am, they already do. Oh, not my kids. Yes, they do. Unless they're under a rock. And they weren't. They knew. They just looked at their mom like, you have no idea. It is part of our culture. Number four, it's good to have evangelistic relationships with gay people. It's good to have evangelistic relationships with all people. What do you mean in an evangelistic relationship where the primary thought of your relationship is I want them to go to heaven with me so I'm going to pray and work to see them come to Jesus Christ. I'm going to have a relationship with them. Number four, pray for an open door to share the gospel. That means that the first time you meet them you might not lay them down and preach an hour-long message like I'm doing today. And I know some of you are going, it's only been an hour? I get it. Number five, spend time listening to their story. Spend time listening to their story. I remember one of the first gay men I had the privilege of witnessing to and leading to Christ. 
I sat over at the Starbucks uh, by Ralph's on Mission Center Road, right across from Hazard Center. And we were just sharing a cup of coffee, and I called him by name. I said, bro, tell me your story. And I told him mine. I asked him to tell me his. And by the time we got done, and I heard about literally, he was in his mid to late 20s, how I'd heard about decades of abuse in his life. I literally just sat there, almost a you know 275-pound Baptist pastor sitting across from a 125-pound gay guy at a Starbucks, and we're both sitting out front just weeping. It looked like we were breaking up. Uh, I'm not kidding you. I'm just weeping as I heard his story. But I wept so badly, I couldn't even witness to him that night. I just prayed with him. I just heard his story. Listen to their story. And never forget the gospel has the power to save all men. I want to speak to this group of people for just a minute, those struggling with homosexuality. I know this message was hard for you to hear. And my respect for you for being here just went through the roof. Just went through the roof. But I want you to know that we love you and we want you to help you find victory in Christ. We love you and we want to help you find victory in Christ. Number two, your same-sex attraction does not give you license to engage in homosexual behavior. You say, oh, I was born that way. Okay, I'm not going to argue that. I'm not going to argue that at all. Genesis chapter 3, the fall happened. Every part of man was contaminated. I was born angry and attracted to every single woman on the face of the earth. Like most men in here. And I can't act on that. Some of you are born, depression is maybe your ditch. Some of you are born with hyper-addictive personalities. That might be your ditch. We all have a ditch, but we just can't act on it. We just can't act on it. Regardless of how we're born, we can't act on that. Number three, God can change your desire. But that's never promised in Scripture. That's never promised in Scripture. This may be something that you have to die to daily. It it may be a life of celibacy for you. It it may be a life. You say, Pastor, I don't think that's fair. We live in a sin-cursed world, and can I be super candid with you? It's not what I would pick for anyone either. But to violate God's word is going to lead to a far, far greater judgment than you could imagine. I've got some friends who are struggling with same-sex attraction. The guy who wrote the book, Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? Sam Albury struggles with same-sex attraction. And some get married and move on. And he said, for me, that will just never happen. I'll pastor and love people for the rest of my life, but I'll do it as a single celibate man who has to die daily to this. To the Christian who has a Christian friend who struggles with same-sex attraction, 
I got six things for you. Number one, if they've told you, never tell another soul. It's not your place. If they told you in confidence, keep it in the strictest of confidences. Don't tell your Some people, some people were the original social media. They're still alive today. Before Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and whatever else comes out all the time, I, I just, it's always something new. But before all of those things came out and all the social media, and I'm not against it, but before it, you used to just be able to tell a person and before long it was through the whole state. Like people knew you, like people a thousand miles away. You'd drive up and you'd stop at a gas station. And they're like, oh, I heard about you. Like, really? How'd you say? Well, oh, you told somebody who told somebody who told somebody who told somebody and now I know about it. I mean, listen, if somebody tells you this, it's to be kept in the strictest confidence. Don't tell your spouse Tell your pastor, we probably already know. We'll pray with you, encourage you, but leave it at that. Don't tell another soul. Even if they say they don't care, don't tell another soul. Number two, be a consistent or constant encouragement. They told you something that is so personal that, that can never be used for anything other than to pray for them and encourage them. You can never make fun of that or joke around about that. That's to violate a sacred covenant that you've given them. Number three, they'll have good days and bad days. Some days will be easier than others. Some days will be harder than others. Live in the grace of the Spirit of God. Some days will be good. Sometimes they'll text you at midnight. Sometimes they'll have horrible days. And just like all people, regardless, you have to love them and care for them and minister to them in the good days and the bad. I've got friends, I don't like them on their bad days. When I have bad days, they're not bad. They're pretty good. Just ask me. Don't ask my wife, don't ask my kids, and don't ask the people who work with me. But you realize uh, I'm being stupid there. We all have bad days. And some of us are the biggest jerks in the world when we have bad days. Some of you, all you have are bad days. I can see right now, this might be one for you. But they'll have good days and bad. Live in the grace of the Spirit of God. Be able to overlook their bad days by the grace of the Spirit of God. You don't need to respond to everything. God's trying to work on them and they're going through it and they're under spiritual attack. No, no, hear me. They're under spiritual attack. Just like we are, just like you are. Number four, don't use discouraging words like queer or, oh, that's so gay. No, no, don't ever do that. That devalues their struggle. Well, I'm just, I'm just being funny. No, you're being hurtful and a jerk. In other words, you're being a hurtful jerk. You're being a putz, a moron. 
If you're a Christian and you do that, you're throwing in a, an offense in front of somebody. You're, you're, you're putting an anvil around their neck and you're dropping them in the, in the water saying, ha ha, swim on your own. You say, well, I didn't mean any of that right. You did not value your words. Well, I didn't know they were standing near me. How about this? There's going to be a lot of things that you don't know. Just use circumspect speech. Control your tongue. Don't bring an offense. Do you see what I'm getting at? Every idle word we're going to give an account to, to the Lord for. Every idle word. And those of us who try to be funny sometimes, we're really going to give a bad account. Number five, open your heart in your home. Open your heart in your home. My home is my sanctuary. Okay, Western American, God did not give you your home to be your sanctuary. God gave you your home as an instrument to minister to other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why God gave you your home. Use it. Open your heart. Open your home. And people said to me one time, I preached a message and I shared an illustration one time. I preached it at my alma mater one time and I preached a message about leading a gay guy to crisis. Not the message, I just shared an illustration. I think that was the last time I was ever asked to speak there, but whatever. And I had people come to me because I said in that message, I said, man, I put my arm around this guy and I just shared with him the gospel of Christ and, and through a series of events, talked about the, he was the guy that got saved here at Canyon Ridge and, and I told that story. And people were like, Pastor Chadwick, you'd have gay people in your home? Well, yeah. Really? Yeah, well, this is kind of the Lord's house and he wants them here and his house is more important than my house so I just figure, like, doing math, it's all good. Open your heart and your home. And number six, the church ought to love sinners more than the world does. The church ought to love sinners more than the world does. I know some of you here this morning, you're trying to keep your family from all sin, as I am, as I am as well. I want to keep my kids unspotted from the world, as the Bible commands. But that doesn't mean that we don't reach people who can be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I was to keep my family sin-free, then I would have to move out. And so would you. And so would you. You can't, you can't dissociate that from the scripture. The church ought to love sinners more than the world does. If you're a guest here, I'm sorry that you came today. Don't tithe. Um, but let me speak to the members of our church for a second. I mean, you could listen. But we're going to be a church that accepts everybody regardless of who they are and regardless of how they come in. 
I heard a story this week, or recently, not this week, but recently of a transgender person who walked into a church and at the end of the service, one of the deacons or leaders or ushers or somebody went to that person on the way out to their parking lot and you've got to understand the, the overwhelming sense of, of fear that they had coming in. And one of the leaders in the church as they're walking out to the parking lot went up to that person and they said, yeah, this isn't the place for you. No need for you to come back. Let me be super candid with you. If you ever say that, I will say the same thing to you as I key your car. <laughs> I will have the teenagers act sinful in front of you with base. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'll stop. We're online. Tonight we won't be. Um, no, we're going to be a church that loves sinners. You say, what if somebody comes in, pastor, and they are transgender? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk up. I'm going to shake their hand. If I know them, I'm going to give them a hug. I'm going to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to try to get them to sit with somebody that I love, that I know will love them. And I'm going to preach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that saved this wretched sinner and can save any wretched sinner. Aren't you scared of them? No, not at all. Not at all. That's why I do CrossFit. No, that's why I'm a Christian. The Holy Spirit of God living inside me. I am not fearful of what Satan can do. I am excited about what Jesus can do to people who are in desperate need of grace. And our church will love sinners more than the world does. More than the world does. I said this at the great 30 service, which went equally as long. I don't know how to conclude this message. We have three pastors in the room other than myself this morning that are paid to speak publicly and they probably all could come up with a very good conclusion. I am simply going to tell you this. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, whether you're homosexual or heterosexual, Jesus Christ wants to save you. He will give you eternal life if you'll let him. If you're here today and don't know Jesus, in just a moment, there'll be two men who are counselors here that would love to take the Bible or get somebody who will be counselors, who will be standing around, men with men, ladies with ladies, who would love to take the Bible and show you from God's eternal word how heaven could be your home. If you're a Christian here today, maybe you've had a haughty spirit and you've been proud and you've used homosexuals as kind of a whipping boy and you've used pejorative terms and unkindness and you've not tried to reach folks with the gospel of Jesus Christ because they're different than you you need today to come and repent you need today to come and repent and understand that the ground is equal at the cross if you're a homosexual today and you're struggling with that you need to come today and get prayer and we need to help you with counseling to understand God's word and all that God has for you and the victory that he has for you we want you to be free of this judgment we want you to be free of this wrath that is spoken of in verse number 18 God wants to do amazing things in and through your life and I don't mean he wants to make you a millionaire I mean he just wants to have a close intimate personal fulfilling relationship with you Maybe you're struggling with it and nobody knows and you don't want to tell anyone, but you can tell Jesus. He is a friend that's well known. He will stick closer to you than any brother. And maybe today you just need to come to the Lord in prayer. Or maybe you know somebody. And maybe in our culture you're like, I don't know any homosexual people. Friend, I'm going to ask you this question. Why not? Are you so insulated from the world that you don't know anybody who needs the gospel of Jesus Christ that is alternate, has an alternate lifestyle? Oh, when God abandons man, we don't have time to re-preach so much, but what a fantastic conclusion to Romans chapter one. 
that helps us see our need and helps us see the need of our world. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.